A hungover John McClane teams up with a good Samaritan to face off against another evil Gruber, Hans's brother Simon. Special guests Dom Monfrey and Darren from Board Games Are For Losers join us to talk about a solid number two, if Hillary Clinton is a bad driver and Rube Goldbring someone to death. Simon says it's time to find out if Die Hard With A Vengeance stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello everyone, and welcome to the third and final episode of our Die Hard Trilogy of Movies. Well, it's four films that we've been uh, covering, but now today we're going to discuss the third film in the franchise, Die Hard with a Vengeance. I'm James Brief with the Test of Time podcast, and joining me as always is Alan Noah. How are you doing, Al? Hi, I am great. It is 2024. I am happy to be here talking about another Die Hard movie with my good buddies, Dom Monfrey and Darren. It's so good to be back. It is great to be back. Well, I'm glad you both think so. When we decided we were going to talk about the Die Hard movies, the fourth one was a question. I talked about that last week, but Die Hard with a Vengeance was a movie we had to talk about because, well, I just felt like that's what we had to do. Um, So thank you. Thank you for coming back for three episodes in a row. I appreciate it, you guys. Oh, you're welcome. I was given no choice. (laughs) That is true. Anything for you guys. Oh. Well, uh, it is real fun uh, talking about Die Hard, and... You know, a funny thing happened uh, when Die Hard was released. You mentioned it a couple weeks ago when we reviewed the first Die Hard film, Dom, and you said that Die Hard redefined what it was to be an action film. And in fact, it started its own subgenre of action films. And for the last 25, 30 years, people have basically been seeing a movie. Oh, do you see this movie? No, what it's about. Oh, it's basically Die Hard on a blank. But um, I thought it would be fun to give you guys a little quiz and see if you guys can figure out uh, what some of these diehard films are. I kind of put this together, tried to see uh, if I could remember some of them. There's multiple answers for some of these, but we're going to do this in a lightning round mode. Do we have buzzers? Do you have buzzers? You've got to have some buzzers around here. All right, here's what I'm going to do. For the ones I think are relatively uh, uh, gettable, I'm just going to point to one of you guys. That you guys, because you'll, you'll all know one of these. For example, Dom, Die Hard on a Boat. Speed 2. Okay, there's another answer I will accept. Uh, specifically, Die Hard on a Battleship. Uh, Pearl Harbor. Uh, no. Dom, yes. you know this one? It's Under Siege, and Dom doesn't get full credit for his answer. That's right. Uh, it's not called Speed 2. Speed 2, call in Cruise Need control. for Speed. Uh, cruise. Yep. Yes. Uh, Darren gets it. Um, okay. Uh, Dom, here's another one. Die Hard on an Airplane. Executive Decision. Okay. Again, Die Hard on an Airplane, Darren. Air Force One. That's right. And the third one, Al, Die Hard on an Airplane. Passenger 57. That's correct. We okay. did those. All right. It's not quite, but Die Hard on an Airplane, but the bad guys are all convicts. Con Air. That's right. Die Hard on a Mountain. Cliffhanger. That's right. Die Hard on a Train. Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Colon, Dark Territory. That's right. Okay. (laughs) Die Hard in a White House. In the White House. White House Down? That's correct. There's another answer. Dave. 
It turned into a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, very good. Uh, it turned into a trilogy of films starring Gerard Butler. That wasn't White House Down. No, that was. Uh, they were. This is one of those uh, films where two films came out the same year. Oh, right, uh, uh, something has fallen. Olympus has fallen. That's okay. Right. All right. Uh, Die Hard in a Hockey Arena. Face Off. No, but but but, but th- a, a very close name that you think would be the good hockey-related term. Sudden Death. That's right, with Jean Claude Van Damme. Okay, two answers to this one: Die Hard in a Prep School. Goodwill Hunting. No, one is very obscure. That was Goodwill Hunting too. Uh, <laughs> These are very obscure. There's uh, one called Toy Soldiers. You ever see oh, that one? Uh, right? Oh yeah. no, I got it. Um, the Edward Norton movie. Um, Rounders. No, 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 no. <laughs> where he plays the, uh, the 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 guy that was abused and he kills the priest. Uh, Primal oh, Fear. Primal Fear. Oh, there. I mean, is it Die Hard? Is it? I don't think he's slowly taking a terrorist. Have you no. heard my answer so far? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, this is a real obscure one, but Die Hard with little kids at an amusement park using the skills that their Japanese grandfather taught them. Three ninjas. Close. Three, Three ninjas. ninjas two. Close. Colin, I don't know the subtitle. Three Ninjas Three. Uh, High Noon at Mega Mountain. That's a real thing? <laughs> yes. All right. Die Hard with a simple-minded security guard at a mall. Paul Blart? Oh, yeah. Paul, Paul Blart. Okay. Mall Cop. Mall Cop. You don't get points. Oh, come on. No Everybody points. knows this Paul Blart. Die Paul Hard. Blart Mall Cop. Die Hard set in a casino at a ski resort on Christmas as well. Ooh. I'll give you a hint. It's what uh, uh, Jay and Silent Bob call Ben Affleck's character in one Reindeer of the... Reindeer Games. That's right. That's what oh. they call it. All right. Die Hard, if Santa Claus was real and was needed to thwart a robbery. Oh, Violent Night. That's right. And finally, anyone but Al can answer this one. Die Hard at Alcatraz. Do you want to say it? Welcome to the rock. That's <laughs> right. All right. So this time we're talking about Die Hard in New York City, which is Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance. The, the, the full name is just Die Hard with a Vengeance. No colon. Correct. No colon. And this movie once again finds Detective John McClane fighting terrorists, this time in his home city of New York. After a department store bombing, the man responsible contacts the NYPD and orders them to send McClane to Harlem, wearing a sign with a racial slur. A man named Zeus begrudgingly helps McClane, not wanting a cop to be killed in his neighborhood. The two must then complete more tasks and solve riddles to prevent more death. But why is a terrorist targeting McClane? Because he is Simon Gruber, the older brother of Hans Gruber, the bad guy from the first Die Hard movie. Like his brother, Simon is pulling off a heist, and it's up to McLean and his new friend Zeus to stop his plot. So, again, like we've been talking about in all of these episodes, this movie was a big hit at the box office, right? How big was it? This was a big hit. Uh, it's very interesting looking at the numbers here. Uh, this film uh, was another uh, summer film. It came out May 19th, 1995. It opened at number one with $22 million, ending domestically with $100 million. Whenever it ends exactly $100 million, I always figure like it was really like 99 point something, and like probably the studio just bought the last bit so they could have another $100 million film this year. So um, it made $100 million domestically, $266 million worldwide. This was the number seven film of the year in 1995. Uh, the number one film in 1995 was a Val Kilmer film. Darren, you want to guess your favorite Val Kilmer film? The Saint. It was not The Saint, <laughs> but uh, that is your favorite Val Kilmer film. Batman Forever? That's correct. So this movie starts with John McClane, drunk, hungover, 
beat up, miserable, depressed. And then he has to go to Harlem wearing a sign that says, I hate, and then it has the N-word. And I was reading today that they added that in digitally after they shot that. That's a good use of special effects to do something low-tech. It was really done so no one would get hurt here. And I think that was the obvious smart thing to do. You have the technology to do it. I thought they did a perfect job with the CGI. And smart move. The way this scene plays out, though, could you imagine seeing this in real life? An NYPD car drops this guy off with this. And then they start walking around like, are you kidding? How do you not immediately go, "Mm, I don't trust this and walk away from this guy? They're in a van. Is it a a labeled van? Yes, it is a labeled van. Okay. The cynical side of me wants to say, if you live in Harlem, maybe that wouldn't really surprise you. That's a little over the top. I mean, fair. Fair. I was taken out of this movie right from the start. Uh, First, at the end of Die Hard 2, Holly and John are back together. or still together. Yeah. He's in the LAPD. Right. And then this movie just starts, unless I missed the novelization or the novel that came out between the movies... He is a complete washout in New York City. They don't explain anything. I guess they don't need to, but I'm like, all right, what, what's happening here? There's the department store bombing. The precinct gets a call. Hey, I need John McClane to do this ridiculous task. They don't even know who that guy is that's calling. They have no way to verify. They're just like, sure, okay, we'll send this guy out to the middle of Harlem to be killed with no backup. I'm like, this is so unrealistic. I was taken right out of the movie right from the It beginning. seemed really easy to set that up. Yes. Like, way too easy. And this was originally supposed to be a Lethal Weapon movie. Right. Well, it was originally just a a movie called Simon Says, or a screenplay, and then it was picked up and adapted to be a Lethal Weapon sequel, and then it went into Turnaround, and then it became a Die Hard uh, sequel. So it had many iterations. Apparently, according to, I think, the original screenwriter, he said that the first, I don't know, however many minutes, but like a good chunk of the movie, Die Hard with a Vengeance, is exactly word for word, Simon says, except they changed the names of the characters, obviously. But other than that, it is very, very faithful. And to your point, Darren, I mean, I think the reset that happens with John and Holly is a bummer. I think it's it sucks because like in the first two movies you're rooting for them as a couple mm-hmm. and you like them as a couple and they could have been married. I mean, this is maybe a weird analogy, but it's like the bummer in Star Wars colon episode 7 dash The Force Awakens when it's like Han and Leia are broken up now. It's like, wait, what? No, no. They're the couple who makes it. And I had a lot more invested in that couple. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It is a shame. They do handle that exposition of what happened and you know, now she's left him and she's in California and he's here back in New York, right. back at his old job. And I think the the way that it kind of has you off balance at the beginning, to me, I like that. I think that is just a cool way to start the movie. And it is different from Die Hard and Die Hard 2 and even uh, Live Free or Die Hard where McLean is in the wrong place at the wrong time. Here he is pulled in. He does not want to be here. He is forced to be here by this external force. He doesn't know why he's involved. Nobody knows why he's involved. And that's intriguing. You are right, though, just because someone calls 
police headquarters and says, I'm the one who blew up that department store. Do what I say or else. Yeah. Right. You, you figure they would want to verify that in some way before putting a cop's life on the line. That's a valid point. I think it's important to talk about Samuel L. Jackson for a moment. This is the film that he himself says, this is the film that made him a movie star. Pulp Fiction had come out a little earlier, and this was a diehard film, a summer film that was a blockbuster, the number seven film of the year, and he absolutely kills it in this film. He kills it in most of his films. Bruce Willis actually recommended Samuel Jackson for this. I'm not sure if it was because of Pulp Fiction, because I don't think there are any scenes together in that film. I don't think they are. Uh, and then, you know, they've had a... a collaboration they've done a bunch of movies together uh unbreakable and glass yeah but there's a whole uh story about Lawrence Fishburne I don't know if you saw that but Lawrence Fishburne was supposed to be Jules in Pulp Fiction and then I think it was his manager or agent or someone kind of talked him out of it and then Samuel L. Jackson got the part and then Lawrence Fishburne was the first choice for Die Hard with a Vengeance and he had first said no but then he reconsidered and said yes but then that role this role also went to Samuel L. Jackson and I think he sued because there was some like broken verbal contract or something and he maybe got some money out of it but uh Lawrence Fishburne lost two very, very good, prominent uh, roles to Samuel L. Jackson. You're right, Samuel L. Jackson did great in Pulp Fiction and in this movie, but yeah, kind of sucks if you're Lawrence Fishburne, I guess. Well, unless uh, you forget that Lawrence Fishburne a couple of years later will be uh, Morpheus in, Nia, uh, in, in uh, The Matrix and then in two of its sequels. Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne's been fine. <laughs> probably because of those films, though. That's yeah. uh, probably his biggest payday. You know, there's a uh, test of time thing. Uh, there's a few explosions in this film, but uh, the, the second explosion in this film, the second terrorist act is when a subway is blown up uh, right by Wall Street. And, you know, this film, again, was released in 1995. It was after the first World Trade Center bombing, but that was underground and you know, there's no real damage on the surface. They do reference that. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. They do reference it. Uh, you know, certainly they had no idea what was coming six years later, but there are scenes of... These uh, businessmen and women like walking around covered in dust, and it's very eerie. You know, we saw it in two thousand one. Uh, you know, you see those; those were horrible pictures. But certainly, they would not have done any of those things today. Well, there was another real life uh, terrorist attack shortly before this movie came out, Oklahoma City, and there was a debate about if they should take out some of the bombings or at least that first bombing of the department store or maybe push the release date and uh, I think it was Fox uh, I believe that released this movie and they kind of stuck to the release date and they said it was okay because that was real and this is fiction and they wanted to keep the release date too I'm sure it was an economic decision um, what do you guys think of the villain in this film uh, played by uh, Jeremy Irons I think that Jeremy Irons is great in this movie. I, I think that Simon is a great villain. I like the conceit of the Simon Says. It's ridiculous in a lot of ways, but I think it works great as to keep the movie moving along. He's definitely a big step down from Hans Gruber, but he's got that same kind of cool confidence. He's not cartoonish. He's not doing naked calisthenics again. <laughs> he's he's definitely in the rankings the second best villain, but he's a big, big step down from Hans Gruber. I liked him, but way, way, way less. Than he's Gruber. a big step up from Die Hard 2, though. Yeah, he's definitely a solid number two in my book. Um, 
You said solid number two. <laughs> Sorry. So he's not diarrhea to you. <laughs> uh, well, no, not yet. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's funny that you say that. I didn't think he was such a radical downgrade from Alan Rickman's Hans Gruber. I mean, I I love Alan Rickman, and I think he was wonderful. But Jeremy Irons, to me, is in that ballpark or in that league. He chews the scenery. He has so much fun playing this evil fucking bastard. He seemed more vicious than Hans. Yes. Right? Hans was well-educated, and that's not to say Simon isn't, but you can tell that Simon will get his hands dirty. Uh, I, I agree with you, more. I, I liked him. Uh, he's not Hans Gruber, but you know he's really good. I, I think Jeremy Irons is a fantastic actor. I think, once again, just like Die Hard 4, I think they went with a top actor. It really reflects. The, the actor can do subtle things. Jeremy Irons will do a little thing like he'll just randomly eat a bite of a hard-boiled egg before shooting Samuel Jackson's character. So cool and casual. Oh, hold on a second, the safety's on, and then let me take a bite of this egg first before I kill you. I don't know whether that's in the script, or if Jeremy Irons is like, hey, uh, McTiernan, I, I got an idea here. I'm just going to eat this egg before I shoot it. What do you think? I think the difference here is there's not that personal interaction between uh, Simon and any of the victims, much less McLean. whereas in with Gruber, you had him interacting with the hostages. You saw, you know, we talked about the conversations he had with uh, Takagi, um, and the other hostages, like you saw his personality shine there. This was kind of like he was playing the cat and mouse games over the phone, which was fine, but it just it never rose up to that level. Like I see Jeremy Irons was great, but I don't think he if he would have been in the Hans Gruber role, I think he would have done it exactly the same. It would have been good. But it just I don't think he was given enough to do to interact with the other characters. Well, that's fair. And also, you don't see uh, Simon until... I think it's like 45 or 50 or something like that minutes into the movie. You hear him on right. the phone and he's got that great voice and he's Scar from Lion King and he can be intimidating on the phone. Apparently in, um, I think it's in England, he did a kids show, Jeremy Irons, where he would like read fairy tales and, uh, you know, like things for young children. And sometimes he even did Simon Says. And so for a certain population who saw that show, like hearing him in this movie was really fucking creepy <laughs> as he was, you know, doing Simon Says, but a sick, twisted terrorist version of it. But let's talk about like some of these riddles and these games, because when I was a kid, I loved brain teasers is what we used to call them. And like, you know, the, these riddles and like watching this movie again, I was like, Oh, right. I forgot about these. These are fun. You know, the first one about the man going to St. Ives with seven wives and seven daughters and seven sacks and whatever. And it's a multiplication problem, but no, it isn't because it's all, it's, you know, the, the riddle of it is it's just right, one person. Story. What did you guys think of, of those riddles? I was not familiar with that riddle. I was right there with them, like, oh my god, what did he say? Can you repeat it once? Like, right. oh god. Being under that situation and having to think under pressure, I, I could really feel the tension for that. I quickly got bored with them. To me, it was so unbelievable what was happening. Like the, hey, you got to go from this payphone down to here in 15 minutes and over here in 30 minutes. And hey, I'm going to leave this briefcase on the rock in the middle of the park. No one's going to touch it, probably. And then there's <laughs> the thing in Yankee Stadium. And there's like all these things. It was just so, it required perfection. Like the timing had to be perfect. Everything had to be perfect. 
I like the riddles. I, I get it, but I was just like, this is so unbelievable that I can't get into it. To be fair, uh, all the henchmen thought exactly what you're thinking. They kept saying, why are you doing this? This is so stupid. Just shoot him. Right, and even <laughs> Zeus is like, why would you go out of your way to like fuck with this cop? And he's like, well, there's a little bonus while I was doing this. But you could tell this was his downfall. And he, he toys with him. He should have just killed him. And you know, this is a this is a classic villain move that they don't it's a James Bond villain kind of thing where they don't just kill him and they, they fuck with him when they really should have. Like he said, they address it. And that actually really humanized the whole situation for me. Like, this is a vendetta. Like this guy is out there. For three weeks, he's got somebody posted in Yankee Stadium a week before this happens, like, hide this gun in, in this closet. Like, he really went through all that. He even says, oh, we went to all that trouble at the stadium and everything. This is fun for him. It's Die Hard with a Vengeance. That is what he's going for. Oh. Oh, now you get it. <laughs> all right, I'm in. <laughs> um, I, I do specifically want to talk about the riddle with the three-gallon jug and the five-gallon jug. Because oh, yes. I, so easy. It's so easy, and yet... They don't explain it in the movie at all. And I do remember seeing this movie in 1995 with my cousin and being completely just out of the movie for a few minutes while I was trying to wrap my head around the solution to the riddle and lining it up with the line of dialogue in the movie, which doesn't make any fucking sense because they don't explain it. They're going back and forth. And then at one point, I forget if it's uh, McLean or Zeus, and they're like, okay, well we have two gallons in this jug. So now we're gonna do this and this and this to get to four. How do you get to two gallons in that jug? That's not how you solve the riddle at all in any permutation. And they say the wrong thing. And that really threw me in 1995. It kind of threw me watching it the other night with the kids. My son Eli was like, wait, how does that work? I literally had to pause it to explain how it works. There's a way easier explanation how to solve it. I've thought of this for 25 years. You got a five-gallon jug, a three-gallon jug. Fill the five-gallon jug with three gallons. Fill the three-gallon jug get to the top. You have two gallons left of air in the five-gallon jug. Pour the three-gallon air until it's to the top. Now you've got one gallon left in the three-gallon jug. Dump your five-gallon jug empty. Pour that one remaining gallon in there and pour three gallons in. Boom, you have four exact gallons. I agree with you completely, Al. I couldn't follow their logic. They just go something, 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 and then they just go, we'll have three gallons. Like, together, it just... Didn't make any sense to me. Maybe it does if I watch it like five times in a row, but my solution is just so much easier. No, no, that never makes sense in the movie because they have two gallons in a jug, which is impossible and doesn't make any sense. They're they, really they, good at estimating, Al. No, you can't estimate. That's the whole thing. And that drove me crazy in 1995 and still <laughs> drives me crazy now. Now, I have a question here. Do you think he was fucking with them? Uh, I don't think there was a bomb in this thing because... Twice in this film, there's an opportunity that uh, these bad guys could kill children, and they go out of their way to say, we're not going to kill kids. I guess it is a real bomb then, because they're given this briefcase, and uh, they're like, oh, we'll just ditch it. And one of the other guys goes, yeah, but there might be some kids. All right, we'll take it with us. But if they put 4.1 gallons in there, wouldn't they have just killed a whole block of kids or something? And then the second uh, second one, I really did like this line, is when McLean realizes they were never going to blow up a school. The bomb is on the boat. And I like that uh, Simon says, of course there's no bomb in a school. Like, the level of bad guy to blow up a school. I, I mean, 
a sociopath doesn't describe you. You're, you're, you're subhuman. And at least he's like, oh, are you kidding? Of course not going to kill a, a school of kids. The fact that he has his moral code is, I guess, is supposed to humanize him. Again, even though he blew up a subway car and he blew up a, a department store. I, I thought that was clever that they did that. Something I'd like to talk about, uh, speaking of that, was the whole bomb situation in the school. The head cop is like, no, keep them in there. Why? Because Simon said, if you evacuate any school, I will blow it. I will blow up the bomb. Yeah. Yep. He called Elvis Duran, who really is, if you're not from New York City, but he was the main DJ at the number one uh, radio station in New York, which is probably the number one station in, in America. So when I saw this in 1995, I remember thinking, wow, that's what Elvis Duran looks like. I, I thought that was interesting. Right. Simon, when he's talking to the cop, says, if you evacuate any schools, we will detonate the bomb. I'm watching. And he's proven that he is watching because he knows that, uh, you know, McLean and Zeus are in the van with the FBI guys and whatever, whatever. So he is watching and they're scared. That's why they don't evacuate. And he also very deliberately says, you can't evacuate the schools. And then the uh, the head cop, I forget his name, but he says something like, well, he didn't say we couldn't search. So we're going to search, and that's exactly what he wants them to do, is to leave Wall Street and search. I think the whole idea of threatening the kids with the bomb, I don't know if that stands the test of time just in the world that we live in now with school shootings and all of this shit. I guess maybe that does make it stand the test of time because kids are threatened at school in real life. But I feel like in a fairly light-hearted action movie it feels out of place to your point james yeah simon says he's not going to kill kids neat he doesn't have any problem traumatizing the fuck out of them well the kids were just in the gym having some fun and they were playing a new fire drill called run as fast as you can <laughs> yeah and then their parents are gonna hug them and and say oh we thought your school was gonna blow up there was a bomb in it and the kids are gonna say what <laughs> and then the next time the the teacher says okay class we're having an assembly they're gonna be instantly triggered i mean this is traumatic shit yeah, th there's no way Simon is a good guy. I mean, you, he doesn't want to blow up a school, but he also, he blew up a subway car, which probably had kids on it. He right. blew up a department store. There was probably kids in it. There's nothing about this guy that's redeemable at all, just because he wasn't willing to follow through and knowingly kill kids. Nah. I mean, to be fair, it's a school day. I don't think there's many kids in a Macy's at 9 a.m. on a school day or on the subway at that time. But you're absolutely right. It's it's a weird, it's this weird moral code, you know, that, that I'm sure he feels good about. But, uh, you know, he kills so many people and all these cops and families. And it's a ridiculous moral code. I mean, so we got to talk about the heist, right? Because that's yeah. really what this is all about. So the heist here is that they're trying to steal all the gold from the Federal Reserve. Right. And they make a reference to it has, like, what, however much more than Fort Knox. Fort Knox is for tourists. Yes. Thank you. Great accent. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> it was terrible, but thank you. <laughs> so so that's the whole thing. The whole school bomb is a distraction. Mm -hmm. um, what did you guys think of the heist? I thought that the, the idea of this is ridiculous. He's like, ah, once your governments are no longer have the gold for which they base their your money on like we dropped the gold standard in 71 right. are you kidding me you're 20 years too late but the gold still has value sure but he's trying to crash the economy 
You don't think that would crash the world's economy, destroying billions of dollars of gold? Money is only as valuable as the theory behind it, as much as well, people are willing to give it value. I, I think Dom's talking about the theoretical uh, idea behind it, because the plan, as at least what Simon says, is that he's actually going to destroy the gold, even though... Can you vaporize gold? I don't know if you can do that. Sure. But uh, into why, what? Why would uh, I know that? <laughs> I mean, you can use aqua regia to melt it, but then you can redistill it from it. So Right. I wasn't exactly sure. I mean, it'll be in the bottom of the Long Island Bay, I guess. But, I mean, it's the Long Island Bay. It's, it's Nobody not... could get there, but it's the sound. It's right. the sound. I was going to say. Oh, okay. Oh. I think the actual heist is very clever. Uh, it's actually so clever, in fact, that apparently the real Federal Reserve changed things because they're like, could something like this plausibly happen? What if Bruce Willis wasn't there to kind of move the bomb about uh, 50 feet from where it was supposed to blow up? Would it have still worked? Um, I don't know. But I think the actual idea behind the plot is is really clever. I, I like the idea of uh, misdirection. I love that there's this little kid and how McLean figures out what's going on. Because some kid steals a, a candy bar and he's like, why are you risking going to Juvie Hall for a, for a Butterfinger? And the guy says, like, look, there's no cops anywhere. You could steal anything. This is the most New York kid ever. Hey, get out of my way. <laughs> you can steal City Hall. Wait, so you like that line? You, I didn't you, say I liked it. I'm saying it's it. He he figures out based on what this kid says. But this goes away from the idea that like McLean is a clever cop and just like he gets lucky. This he runs into this kid who's shoplifting. He's like, you could be stealing City Hall right now. He's like, steal City Hall. Oh my God! That's what we have doing. at City Hall. He didn't figure it out. He got lucky. It right. was so dumb. It, it, no, it, it, it's both. It's both. He he happened to hear a kid say a thing, and that led him to think of another thing. I think that's okay. Also, you guys did get the line wrong. He says it's Christmas. You could steal City Hall. Oh, oh it's another Christmas oh, movie. Why don't no, people call it this not, one? Uh, there's not. even Santa Santa Claus is in this one. Yes, Wait, he does reference Santa. But Christmas is not on school day, so it can't be Christmas. No, it's it's definitely in in late summer. I do think Darren makes a good point, though. It should have been more like. Zeus noticing, like, look at this kid. He's shoplifting. Man, this stupid kid's gonna risk going to Juvie for a Butterfinger. And then McLean goes, "Shit, there's no cops anywhere." Like, you're right, yeah. Dad. He should figure it out. So, James, you mentioned that the subway explosion had to be perfect, right? Because they needed the bomb to go off so that they could drive the trucks. Well, it's supposed to detect the uh, like an earthquake or something. Well, well the subway, well, what the explosion did was allow all those, you know, the, the equipment to get down in there so they could drill in through the side of the Federal Reserve. That's, right. that's what the whole idea was. So you're right. It had to be perfect. So that's a big problem that first first of all, John McClay takes the bomb and, and tosses it out. So it wasn't didn't go off when it was supposed to, but it still worked. The other thing that's just so unbelievable is that a bomb just went off and no cops stayed. That is not how it works. Like they would never all leave and allow these 15 European clearly Eastern European, maybe West German. I don't know. These guys come in. The, the scene would be locked down. Nobody would go in or out. It just wouldn't work. So the whole plan would fall apart 
right there. They could never, ever get it done. It just doesn't make any sense. Even if every school in New York City was threatened I, with a bomb. They should have said a line like the cops would be like, what do you mean leave? Get into PS34 right now. We got to nope. find a spot. I'm saying you're right, Darren. The fact there's no cops there at all would be crazy. And they didn't even try to say a reason why there's no cop. That, that's, right. that's a good right? point. Like there's not a bachelor on the force. I could see most of the cops leaving. That would still leave some cops. Right. It just... It, can't happen. They needed to explain it a different way. They, they needed to do something different. Maybe it was three days later, right? Two days later, something. I don't know how it would have worked, but it, it's impossible. So that the whole idea to create the distraction would, I get it, but it wouldn't work. It would never work. There's no scenario it would work. And so it took me out of the movie right there. And then again, I was like, it's impossible. It's impossible. They did have some cops there. There's one of the guys that McLean knows who uh, goes and talks to the ter the terrorists and then... Uh, just lets them in. And just be, uh, basically lets them in and then they kill him and he takes the badge. McLean sees that guy's badge number and he knows his badge number because they were talking about the lottery number, so yada, yada, yada. So, I mean, they did leave one cop. <laughs> so, <laughs> An entire city block blew up. I mean, this happened. What, when was the, the bombing on 23rd Street here? Or... Uh, there was like eight or not. Yeah, yeah. There, there was there was a bomb that closed Street. off the city block for days and they wouldn't just been like, well, there's been a school, a threat against a school. All right, everybody leave. We're good. We got this. It can't work. I mean, I get what you're saying. I think it's the heightened reality. It's the heightened threat of terrorists and bombings. And the fact that it's a school is what is supposed to make you go along for the ride. And I, I get your point. I understand why you would, would say, yeah, but then maybe you call in some other cops from Jersey anyway. to come in, right? Like you're downtown. I, I get what you're what you're saying. Yeah. Um but I think the the thing about it that does kind of work is that in this movie, which is kind of uh unique to the Die Hard franchise that we've seen in other movies, there's not like the jurisdictional bullshit. They even call it out, like the head of the NYPD is like talking to the FBI. It's like, you're not going to give me any bullshit about who's in charge here, right? And the FBI guy is like, no, my kid's in school here. Like, no, we're right. all working together. You mentioned the, the badge number. Is yeah. that how he figured that out? Which I thought was crazy because he's talking to this guy and this guy is using broken English idioms. Yeah. And like somebody says, oh, it's raining dogs and cats out there. And I'm suspecting them. They're dead, right? This is among us. You you are the imposter. Right. And, you know, he gets into this elevator. It seems like he's not worried about anything. And then he just, like, catches a glimpse of, like, a gun and then is like, I know that badge. And, like, that's how he figures it out rather than any of the other context clues that were just bombarding him. Right, right. The guy calls the elevator a lift. Right. Do any of you watch Archer? Of course. Okay. This scene would have left him meeping for five days. How many guns are fired in his ear? And he's just like, sure, no problem. Yeah, right. I can hear everything. I was thinking that exact thing when he fired a gun in an elevator. I mean, you do it to save your life. But the sure. fact that he didn't even go, oh, or even the, the sound should go to that high frequency sound for a couple seconds. You know, like they do after a bombing or something. There's a right, few like moments the tinnitus that, effect. That exactly, exactly. Right. And Bruce Willis did uh, lose hearing firing one of the prop guns in the first Die Hard movie when he's like under the table and like shooting up at the guy. Uh, he like fired it really close to his ear and they were extra loud blanks for some reason. <laughs> uh, and he lost, I think, two thirds of his hearing. Maybe in only one ear, I forget. Yeah, that's a good point and a good Archer reference. 
There's a couple jokes in this film that, uh, well, jokes or references in the film that I liked as a kid, but would completely go over someone's head. When we were kids, it was still a reference. The crappiest of crappy cars that you could possibly have was something called a Yugo. Right. And even Yugo, the name doesn't stand up because Yugo is the former name of Yugoslavia uh, or the car made in the former Yugoslavia, which is today like seven countries, you know, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Croatia, uh, Serbia, and Montenegro. used to be called, yeah, all these places that used to be called Yugoslavia and they made the shittiest car ever. I never saw a Yugo in my life. And the fact that there was a Yugo in this film, I thought that was really funny. I liked it. It was a, it was good for the plot too, because it wasn't a fast car. And yet somehow they they turned at a ninety degree angle and ran right through a wall, jumping from one highway to another highway. And I was like, in a Yugo? There's no way. Come on, guys. Um, another thing that totally doesn't stand up. One of the Simon's riddles goes, "What is twenty one of forty two? And you're thinking. 21 is half of 42, uh, 50%. And what they're referencing is that at the time, you might know 42 uh, refers to Bill Clinton is the 42nd president. You know, today we say, you know, 46, Biden, Bush 43. Uh, but you'd have to put your mind back in 1995. I do like the fact that you, know, you had to know with you who the uh, president was. But today you would just simply go, hey, Google, uh, who's the 21st president? And how did John McClain figure out that's what they were talking about? But, oh, Jerry, the truck driver, tells him that. No, 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 no. But how did they figure out first that the 42 meant the 42nd president? Oh, I, I don't remember. You remember? Uh, I know that there's a Hillary Clinton joke in there. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're driving on the, uh, I'm assuming the FDR Parkway, and somebody cuts them off. McLean yells, well, what do you think you are, lady? Hillary Clinton? He's like, Hillary Clinton? Bill Clinton? It's the 42nd president. And I was like, no, that's so <laughs> Dumb. Again, he didn't use his wits. He got lucky. Again, here's another case where because he yelled at somebody for driving like Hillary Clinton, which again, I guess probably doesn't stand the test of time because I don't know if you curse out the way people drive and call them Hillary Clinton. Or right. is that is that comment? Because I don't remember her being a particularly bad driver. I mean, you can make <laughs> Just one right. of these it, famous. It's is it is it because she's a woman? No, it's an entitlement thing. Like that person was driving like they own the road. I think that's what it oh, meant. Oh, okay, but all right. So it's a, not like a famous. I just assumed it was a, uh, a woman joke. I took it more of as an entitlement. Like, what are you, lady Hillary Clinton? Maybe it was a woman joke. But either way, she goes Hillary Clinton. Wait, forty second president. And then, yeah, he gets the answer from Jerry, the truck driver, but he wouldn't have known. He would have been thinking, oh, half of 42 is 21. Like, I like the phrasing of it. What's 21 of 42? Yes. That's a very clever thing. And is it Blackjack? Is it uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? You're telling knows? me there's not a PS 21 or 42 in the city? Right. Definitely. Right. Although that's something that somebody who didn't live in New York might not know. That's right. true. I do have a question actually related to that. What was it like for you guys seeing New York in the in the mid nineties? Because I found the scenery very nostalgic. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I think there's a lot of it that doesn't feel like horrifically different. I mean, I think the the taxis were like the number one thing that kind of leapt out at me. It's the old kind of taxis. The toll uh, was two dollars and fifty cents. Could you ever imagine a toll being that cheap? Right, right, right. Yeah, that that was funny. Yeah, the the quarters. 
I feel like I noticed a couple of store names in the background that I don't remember, but that kind of made me go, oh, that doesn't exist anymore. And I, I didn't write it down. Although I think you do see Gray's Papaya. That's mm, still yes, here, that, right? That's still there, 72nd and Broadway. I like the the way New York City is depicted in this film because we've talked about this a lot uh, in the podcast, Al. New York City is a character in the films. You review a film like The Warriors. It's not just the gang members. It's New York City. New York City, until around when this comes out in the mid-90s, the big city is where the evil stuff happens. And I, I like that, no, they, they didn't make a big deal of it. It was just a place people live. You know, they didn't have those uh, spray-painted uh, subways, which haven't existed since, uh, not in my lifetime. I think it was like the early 80s, maybe they got rid of those things. But I, I did like that uh, this was one of the first times New York City was depicted a little more realistic. Right, they did talk about the segregation between one-tenth and south yeah yeah yeah, but yeah yeah. no you're right it was much more realistic i love uh the scene of central park i've driven in new york city and i was kind of for years i've had the fantasy that he's had like that would be the easiest way to get downtown if you could drive through central park how did they do that did they film that on location i mean it looks pretty accurate i i think they did uh i'm not positive about that but um they were definitely be casualties like speeding through uh and then there's a there's a mime joke of like are you trying to hit those pedestrians no no of course not well maybe that mime (laughs) as we know from die hard one 25 percent is acceptable i i guess but i wanted to go back to what you said about um the harlem thing watching this movie again i was like why does zeus save mclean it's not clear at first And then he does explain it, and I thought it was a brilliant explanation that unfortunately does stand the test of time, where he says, I don't give a shit about you. If a cop, a white cop dies in Harlem today, tomorrow there will be a thousand white cops in Harlem who are pissed off and angry, and I don't want that. That is a valid concern. A similar thing that happened in the movie is a cop, Pulls a gun on a, on Samuel L. Jackson for evading a fare. It's not like you pushed somebody over and stole money, didn't do anything violent. Why do you have a gun on him? Because he's a white cop and there's a black perp. I mean, unfortunately. But yeah. they, they didn't even think, like, this might be a bad thing. We might not want to show this. They were just like, oh, this has totally happened. You know, uh, I read something about this film that Samuel L. Jackson talks very, very fondly of this film. Because basically this was the turning point of his life. Uh, Samuel Jackson did say that Zeus is the closest character to his own personality of any of the characters that he's played. And I think that Zeus is probably one of the most realistic characters. He talks like a real person would talk. His motivations are real. His frustrations are real, too. And the parts where he's like, oh, come on, can we just rest for a minute are are real. He's just so good in this. Uh, Samuel Jackson and uh, Bruce Willis are so good together. You can just tell when two actors click. Right, and and the fact that they've made many movies together is a testament to that, and they're amazing chemistry on screen i totally agree that is the best part of the movie is that interaction and i think they treat it fairly they they, they show the the white cop uh pulling the gun on samuel l jackson and they show how nervous that guy is and and how samuel l jackson's trying to defuse the situation they also have mclean call samuel l jackson out on his bullshit his sort of reverse racism right i think they treat it how it should be depicted and i thought that was well done for the movie Unfortunately, yeah, a lot of that still does stand the test of time, and unfortunately, it's still relevant, but I'm glad they treated it with a respectful way. Yeah. 
Um, and I want to talk about the end of the film. When I first saw this film, I was having a lot of fun in this film. That was really cool. And the film seems to end right after the, right after they jump off the boat and they escape from the boat that blows up and McLean's about to call his wife. And I was thinking, holy shit, Simon gets away with it. I mean, we're going to see what happens to him in Die Hard 4. I actually kind of really like that. And McLean, actually it was Zeus that was like, man, who cares? You live another day. Go call your wife. Like, you're alive, aren't you? And I was kind of like, you know what? Maybe this is the change. McLean doesn't save the day. He, he accomplished a lot of goals. And then, you know, he made a friend and all this stuff. And he's back on the force. But then there's the, I would almost call it like a tacked on epilogue there. Where the, the next scene takes place at an indeterminate amount of time later. Not, you know, probably a day or two later because they probably draw up to Canada or something. What do you think of the uh, of the final scene, uh, basically when they take down the bad guys in Canada in Quebec? I, again, I hated how they discovered where they were going. You remember how they discovered where they were going? Absolutely, it was so. The dumb. aspirin bottle was printed with the name of the truck stop where he bought the aspirin bottle, where where Simon had bought. Is that a thing? No, it's not a thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying this is someone who like I work in pharmaceutical, like with pharmaceuticals every day. Like they might print like. Made in Germany, but yes. they're not gonna say like it's uh, hand delivered to this address, Quebec, I, right? From this specific distributor at this truck stop in Dusseldorf, right? Again, it's another case where they just get really lucky, and also they're assuming that 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 that's where they're going. It's a logical guess once you see that truck stop. Very frustrating to me. How is the end scene? I think it's fine, but I, I just could again, how they got there, it kept on taking me out of it. One thing that kind of took me out of it is that they have a helicopter, a spare helicopter on the ship, but then they haven't seemed to have thought of any way to launder the $13 billion that they've been planning to steal for a month. Like they suddenly have infinite money. What are they going to do with it? They can't do anything. Yeah. They didn't think about that at all, but some are like, you know, we might want a helicopter on our boat. What? <laughs> Wait, they're on a boat? The yeah, they're on ship. the ship. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even get that they were on a boat. The thing that bothers me about it is why does John McClane get to go to this raid? I mean, maybe, maybe they let him because it was personal and, you know, he was the guy that Simon was naming in his little games and whatever. Why Zeus? Why the fuck would they bring Zeus? <laughs> that makes no fucking sense. Why put him in the helicopter? And put him in the fucking helicopter. He's not a cop. He's a Maybe, 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 and almost definitely not. Maybe you bring him to Canada and put him in a nice hotel 30 miles away, and then you say, I'm going to call you as soon as we get him, all right? I'll let you know. You'll be the first to know, and we'll go out for poutine, but you have to wait way, way, way far <laughs> away. And the fact that he's in the helicopter is mind-numbingly stupid. And, you know, the, the death of Simon is lame and anticlimactic i didn't really fully get what does he shoot he shoots a, an electric wire that right, hits yeah. the helicopter yeah. no he hits the wire which you think is going to hit the blades but he but uh the, the woman she turns the helicopter away and the helicopter blades hits a wall or something or the ground mclean looks around and sees it and simon sees him seeing this other thing and instead of like shooting him is yeah. like 
ah! <laughs> like, he just, he panics because this guy has a gun and is going to Rube Goldberg him to death. <laughs> like, just kill him. Ironically, in the overall series, that is the least lame way that a helicopter is uh, defeated, which is saying <laughs> that a, is lot. a lot. Yeah, That is saying a lot. But yes, I'm sorry. I need to correct myself. When I said the ending wasn't bad, no, it was terrible. Like You're right. I forgot how bad it was. Yeah, the shooting of the wire. When, yeah, easily Simon could have just been like, no, oh, I think he's going to shoot the wire. I should probably shoot him. Okay, bang. Right? He, he, he stops shooting at him. If you're, you're at least trying and you miss, whatever, you tried. You just, right. guess I'll let it happen. You know, one thing about the ending, uh, I also really liked what I thought the ending was, uh, he's going to try to call Holly. Because uh, one thing I disagree with you guys on was I think it's realistic and appropriate that those two are not together. I don't think there's really much evidence that these two have a happy marriage. Before Die Hard 1 takes place, there's a lot of evidence and uh, you know between the lines of what happens in the film. They were separated and living separate lives and they get back together through extreme circumstances. The fundamental problems that broke them up pre-Die Hard 1 are still there. John McClane's not a lovey-dovey husband. But I, I didn't understand why after the second ending, why doesn't he call Holly now? I think he does. And I believe, I might be wrong on this, I believe in this movie they're not divorced I, in live for your die hard they use the word divorce i think in this movie they're still separated maybe i don't know right i don't think they've actually officially divorced they've just been separated he hasn't spoken to her for over a year so right. you would think i mean right 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 they, they are effectively divorced but they are not legally divorced. they're not right so when he discovers the aspirin thing he's calling her and i don't think it's Bonnie Bedelia's voice that you hear on the phone being like, hello, hello, because then he drops the phone instantly. But um, yeah, he's going to call her. After the movie ends, he calls her, they talk, and yeah, it doesn't go well because whatever it is, 12 years later, in the fourth one, they're divorced. But I believe that he calls her. And the one thing I do like about the Canada scene before the stupid shootout is the sex scene between uh, Simon and the female henchman. It's wordless and she doesn't say anything in the whole movie, so that makes sense. But she just like walks away from the big celebration and just kind of looks at him and he knows exactly what that means and he ends his victory speech to, to, to follow her for sex. <laughs> That's funny. It, it was good. I was thinking if I was in that situation, I'd be like, I'm not sure what she's doing. Why is she leaving? And I would just stand there. I would not follow her. <laughs> and then later I'd be like, oh. <laughs> and then later when he finally comes to bed, she's like, where the fuck were you? I wanted to have sex. And he's like, oh. Now man. I have a headache. Oh, man. <laughs> and I don't have any aspirin anymore. Right. Wah, wah. There's one scene where she takes what looks like a sickle. Yeah. And she stabs this guy like 17 times to the point where Simon's like, I think he's dead, darling. I like that she's completely ruthless. And I think it's better that you never hear her voice. Although I think she was a singer in real life. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I think it was a concern about her accent, maybe. What did you guys think about the Simon and John back and forth? You know, by having it be Hans Gruber's brother, it is a nice way to kind of tie everything together. And there's callbacks and there's always a fine line between what's a callback and what's an homage and what's a blatant fucking ripoff and I think that this movie does a good job of towing that line where just like the first movie it's a heist 
just like the first movie, he's going to fake his own death and make it seem like all of the money is destroyed. And, and they call it out. Uh, McLean's like, I know this family. I know the, the MO. That's what he's going for. And it feels familiar, but not like a total retread. And I like that. I don't think I mentioned this last week, but then it did piss me off in Live Free or Die Hard when all of that stuff is also for a heist. It's like, okay, now you're just beating the dead horse. I kind of liked it in two that it wasn't about money. And then three, they go back to it. Okay. And then four, you do it again. It's like, come the fuck up. <laughs> I like some of their back and forth. John says something to the effect of go fuck yourself. And Simon just goes, how colorful. Right. Which is something I definitely want to incorporate into my everyday uh, lexicon. <laughs> but also the scene where the two of them are just shit-talking Hans. That felt like that could have gone on another two, three minutes and would have been really funny. Right, because it, it's a it's a human moment. It's like him eating the egg before shooting Zeus. He's like, your brother was an asshole. Yeah, my brother was an asshole. You're right. You got his number. You killed him. You dropped him off of the building. Ha, 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 ha. I still have to kill you, though, because he is my brother. Uh, all right, so Darren... Tell me you get the honor of going first for the last time in a Die Hard movie. What do you think about Die Hard with a Vengeance? Not ever, though. I get to come back. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Of course. You, you're welcome anytime, Dom. You're welcome anytime. You know that. And perhaps in five years, we'll do uh, a good day to Die Hard. Nope. Oh, all nope. of us. <laughs> nope. nope. We've signed a blood pact. No. I, I, no. I, don't, I don't want to watch any more of these. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, we've broken Darren. But Darren... <laughs> Do you think that Die Hard with a Vengeance stands the test of time? It's definitely going to be a hard no for me. Um, again, I like uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I like how they treated race relations. Um, I think Simon is a good villain. Again, not as good as Gruber. But it was just so many things hinged on unbelievable plot devices. Uh, the bombing of the subway. Things just having to go perfectly right. The, the cops fleeing this the seat of a bombing. And then McLean solving everything, figuring everything out through just dumb luck, through the kids saying going to City Hall, through the aspirin bottle, through the Hillary Clinton reference. It all took away from the fact that he was really clever in the first movie. Second movie, a little less. He seems to be getting a little bit dumber as it goes on. <laughs> and I didn't like it. I just, I was bored. I was really bored. The movie kept on going on. I like had that secondary ending. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to watch another one of these movies because I watched them in order. Thankfully, 4 redeemed itself, even though I said it didn't stand the test of time. I'm not sure where I rank this, but it's it's definite no. I mean, even if you can't rank this one, uh, num- what do you think number one is? Number one's obviously Die Hard. Okay. Uh, number two would be Live Free and Die Hard, I think. And then I'm really torn between two, two and three. Maybe I'll give... Three, the edge because of Simon. All right. So you, uh, the only Die Hard you said stood the test of time is Die Hard One. Correct. So right. my percentages, I'm evening out my percentages overall for all my movies. Wow. All right, Dom. You said number one stood the test of time. Number two stood the test of time, and number four did not. Where does the third film lie? Yeah, this movie is ridiculous. It is a Rube Goldberg machine with another Rube Goldberg machine wrapped in a Rube Goldberg machine of Rube Goldberg machines. But it's fun. Uh, I love Simon. I love Zeus. I love their interactions. I honestly thought that the final shot of the movie was them drowning in the river because that makes sense in that moment. They're drowning for a couple of seconds like on screen. Obviously, that's not how the movie's going to end, but I could see it 
realistically shot, that's how it would end. What a bummer. <laughs> they all died. Directed by John McDermott. I would have liked that. <laughs> right. I mean, it would have done terrible with test audiences, but like that would have been a much more realistic movie. Uh, but all that said, I, I do enjoy this movie. I will watch it again. I think it does stand the test of time. And the more I've thought about it, I kind of think I'm going to waffle on two and four. I, I think my ranking... Thinking about it now is one, three, four, two. Okay. I think that the first one is is the best. I think that this is very good. You know, as we get further into the age of action movies, they do get dumber. They all get dumber. Yeah. But this is still as ridiculous as it is. It's a really good example of the genre. So I think it stands the test of time. All right, James, what do you think? You know, this film was a return uh, a lot of ways to, to, I thought, maybe a little closer to the first one. And first of all, the director was back. I, I do like the direction style here. The number one thing that stands up on this film, I think for me, is, is Bruce Willis. He He's one of those guys, along with, say, Samuel L. Jackson, coincidentally, he makes it seem effortlessly cool to, to be in these films. He's just so laid back. John McClane could save the day. And I like this return to form. He's not a superhero-y. He's not fighting on an airplane wing. I didn't like that in the second film. You know, we, we haven't talked about it, but uh, you know, t- today, uh, Bruce Willis, he, he has this, uh, this aphasia. And he's uh, apparently he's declining uh, cognitively. And uh, there won't be a Die Hard 6. There probably won't be any more uh, Bruce Willis films. Uh, but his legacy absolutely uh, lives on, and just to be so entertained by him. I, I agree mostly with what you're saying, Dom. Uh, this is not a great film, but it's fun. It's not as much fun as I remember. Just like you said, Al, I saw this in a the theater with my buddies. We were like 15 years old, and I was like, yes, this is a great film. But I don't think it's as fun as it was 25 years ago, uh, uh, 30 years ago. But... It's still fun. This really does, of all the films, seem like this was not made as a Die Hard film because it's weird in that quote-unquote Die Hard formula. But it's enough for me that it stands up. I don't like the ending villain. I do like the the, the principal cast of uh, Bruce Willis, Samuel Jackson, and Jeremy Irons. So for me, it does stand the test of time. And I would rank these uh, one, three, four, very distant two. Al, does Die Hard with a Vengeance stand the test of time? Yeah, of course it does. And I feel like the way that you, Darren, must have felt all those other times when you were talking about a movie that you really loved. And I was like, no, this movie sucks. And you must have been like, why does he hate it? Because I am really shocked at how much you hate this movie. I'm almost a little sad about it because I really fucking love this movie. You're not wrong in terms of some of the mechanics of of how it works and, you know, realism and things like that. I get it, but I remember loving this movie when I saw it in 95 at the theater. I had a fucking blast watching it the other night. I really did. Eli when we were done watching, he's like, I think I like that one just as much or maybe even more than the first one. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I get that. Like, uh, if someone has that take and no one here does, but I would be okay with that. I wouldn't argue with that. It's certainly close enough. 
I I like the way that this movie is different from the others in the franchise. I like that we finally get to see John McClane in New York. This guy who's, you know, an NYPD cop. And in the last two movies, he's never in New York. And I love his chemistry with Samuel L. Jackson. I love Jeremy Irons as a villain. I do like the riddles. I mean, is that what a real-life terrorist would do? No. I, I get that. But I just, I, I enjoy it. I was going to ask you before, Dom, and then I, I forgot about it. We went to high school together. Did you have Dr. Cole for Econ? Yes. Do you remember him talking about this movie and how, like, it was real about the gold in the Federal Reserve? That the gold was there, yes. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think that was about yeah. it. And I think I tuned out everything else that guy ever fucking said because he was boring and I hated econ. He took me outside of class to have discussions and just gave me A's on tests. So he was cool with me. Okay. I did not have that experience with Dr. Cole. Um, but yeah, I, I love this movie. I think it is very, very enjoyable. I do hate the ending. And I think if I'm going to rank them, I would still put one first. One, three, four, two is the obvious ranking here. Five is the distant worst, but we're the less said about that, the better. Um, yeah, the ending's annoying with uh, with Zeus and McLean going to Canada to to fight the guy and shoot a wire at a helicopter that hits a thing that hits another thing that then hits the helicopter. That's lame. And it does kind of leave a bad taste in my mouth. And it's an international incident now for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Although we don't know for sure that they're in Canada. I mean, we see the sign. Maybe they're on the New York side. No, they would have no. to be. They would have <laughs> right. to be. Right, and also, why would they get to the border and then stop before crossing it? That doesn't make any sense. And why would there be a French sign in northern New York? Right. Um, I remember liking the line that Simon says there of like, yesterday we were an army without a nation. Tomorrow we decide which country to buy. It's a great line. It doesn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) How have you not thought about which country to buy? I was wondering about that area. He mentions, and this is all thanks to the gullibility of the NYPD. Yes, they were gullible and, you know, throwing all the cops in the schools and not so they could rob them. Is he implying that that stutter was fake the whole time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why would he stutter? I don't get how that gives an advantage. Because when he's calling the police precinct, there's the psychologist who's there who's saying, oh, Simon is his real name. He's figuring it out. He's doing, uh, you know, the the profiling in real time. And Simon knows that that's going to happen. Just like Hans knew everything that was going to happen. He knew the playbook. So I think that's fine. That's clever. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie, and I'm sad that you didn't like it as much as I do, Darren, and that you really hate it, and maybe we just broke you having watched so many Die Hard movies in such a short period of time. It is possible. I watched all four of them in a two-day period. That was probably not advisable. You actually overdosed? I might have overdosed, so it could be my fault. It's hard for me to get over just the complete breakdown in plot. And maybe that maybe I just need to suspend belief and I'd like it better. I, I mean, honestly, having done several of these franchises on the podcast, I do think that sometimes that isn't the best way you know i like grouping the movies together like when as we're talking about i'm like yeah we're gonna do the indiana jones trilogy as the three episodes in a row but yeah when you when you watch these movies back to back it does change the way they were released when there was years apart and you had time watching other movies and thinking about other things and then you return to this character and you know watching them back to back it is a different experience so 
did that color your experience? Probably. Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's colored mine, you know, in uh, over the course of this podcast. So that that's fair. But um, I am still really glad that you came, Darren. I'm really glad that you came, Dom. This was awesome. It was awesome, and I'm so happy that you think an action movie stands the test of time. You know what? I I did have that thought, too, of like, man, we've talked about so many action movies on this podcast, and I hate so many of them, and I do wonder if it is kind of like in that screenwriting book I I mentioned a couple weeks ago, they're just all not as good as Die Hard, and you know, even the, the game we played at the beginning of this episode, all of the other Die Hards on a whatever, none of them are as good. The air quotes die hard formula, it's not a formula. It's a recipe. It is a a complex recipe and you have to get it exactly right. And if you get it a little bit wrong, the whole thing's going to turn to shit. And I can't off the top of my head think of a better action movie than Die Hard 1. Name a better action movie. Mortal Kombat! No. No, no, I'm (laughs) kidding. I'm just fucking That was out of pocket. Okay. All right. Um, but thank you again for coming on. You are welcome to come back anytime to talk about a non-Die Hard movie, together, separately, whatever. This has been awesome. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are going to be talking about Mean Girls, the original movie, because there's a new musical version. Although if you watch the trailer, you would know it was a musical because there was no fucking music in it. But I'm looking forward to talking about that movie. Join us then. As always, we want to hear from you. Tell us your thoughts about Die Hard with a Vengeance, about four-gallon jugs, about gold at the bottom of the Long Island Sound, whatever. We love hearing from you all. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, X, Instagram, and Threads. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.